Hello, everybody. Welcome to Optional Opinion. I'm your host, Eddie V. Thank you guys for tuning in. I am so happy to be back. Got a great show for you guys. I get to talk about one of my favorite, favorite companies uh, that pretty much other people don't, you know, kind of recognize, but a few who do, uh, do enjoy their game. So on today's episode of Optional Opinion, today's theme, Treasuring treasure yes everybody i will be talking about treasure games or uh treasure as in the company and some of their games they are fantastic as a developer and as a publisher they use you know sometimes they will publish their own games and they started kind of way back in the 90s and recently for those who are who have a Nintendo Switch or Xbox One or a PS4, uh, Ikaruga dropped. So uh, it's one of their high, highly well-known uh, games for that company. And, and if you haven't played Ikaruga, hey, pick, I advise you to go pick it up, give it a try. I think I believe it's only fifteen dollars. Um, it's it's not too long, but it is difficult. Um, and it, it kind of makes you think it, it's just two player co-op. So I believe you guys should give it a try if you're interested in some old school shoot 'em ups. So, uh, Treasure, uh, company, uh, is a Japanese video game developer founded by former employees of Konami on June 19th, 1992. Uh, Treasure is best known for classic style action games that employ innovative gameplay systems. The greatest commercial successes have been games like Wario World and Mischief Makers, but they are better known for their critical successes such as Sin and Punishment, Gunstar Heroes, Dynamite Heady, Alien Soldier, Guardian Heroes, Bangai O, and Ikaruga. Their first released game was Gunstar Heroes the McDonald's Treasureland adventure was developed first. Church was a small private health company consisting of around 30 to 40 members. Though this number is somewhat misleading as they also employ independent contractors to assist development and sometimes partner with other companies like Sega and Nintendo to increase the size of their teams. They have worked on many titles based on licenses, including Astro Boy, McDonald's, Bleach, and Tiny Toons Adventures, as well as partnering with companies like Sega, Enix, and Nintendo to produce original properties. They have produced a handful of games independently, most notably their arcade shooter, Ikaruga, and Radiant Silver Gun. So, that's just a little bit of history uh, of them. So, yeah, they've been open for 26 years, and uh, like I said, they got a new game out uh, called, uh, uh, well, not a new game. They have Ikaruga out, um, which is also published by Nicholas. Um, they went through a different, a lot of different publishers by Ikaruga, but I'm going to get to that a little bit later on in uh in a in a uh, show, um, in 1988, due to success of Techno Japan Double Dragon, Konami hired some employees for a new studio to be called Star Team. Star Team was intended to develop beat 'em ups for arcade games for Konami, and they are kind of one of the reasons why you have The Simpsons, X Men Arcade, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and and Turtles in Time. So they. Uh, did a lot of those games to make it look like the style of that property. So uh, after, like I said, after they left Konami, uh, they created Treasure. 
Um, and some of the people who are there, uh, Masato Mogawa, uh, he is the company president, founder, and he acts as executive producer for all games. Uh, early on, he also directed games and worked as a programmer. The last game for which he performed a role other than executive producer was Mission Makers. Hideyuki Suganami, usually credited as Nami, led the development of several treasure games, including Mission Makers and Alien Soldier and Sinner Punishment, Hoshino Kishinosha. He left the company sometime after Sinner Punishment, but remains on good terms with the company, heading development of Gunstar Superheroes on a contractual basis. Um, Hiroshi Uchi, uh, Ayuchi is a graphic designer specializing in background art. He left the company in the mid-90s, but returned when he was offered the opportunity to assume a greater leadership role, specifically the chance to direct the shoot-em-up of his own design, Radiant Silver Gun. He was a primary creative force behind the company's three-gene uh not just dream gene uh three genre shooters within Silverga, Ikaruga and Gradius Five. He also composes music which he did for Ikaruga. Following the cancellation of his fourth shooter, an unnamed Xbox three sixty game, he left the company again to pursue self employment, most recently collaborating with G Rev on shooter Strania and directing their handheld tank shooter Kokuga. Misuru Yada, or Yamin, is a programmer key uh, creative force behind many treasure games and has his particular interest in scoring action games. He was a primary creative, creative force behind Bangayo and its sequels, and is frequently credited as the assistant director on most games he works on because of his strong creative role. For much of the 2000s, he was a constant member of the company's handheld teams, creating games for the Game Boy Advance and Nintendo DS. Tetsuhiku Kukichi, credited as Han in Design Roles, is an artist and character designer who had directed several treasure games, including writing, directing, and creating much of the art for Guardian Heroes in the sequel. He also directed Yu Yu Hakusho, Makio Tosusen, uh, uh, Rakugaki Showtime and the Cancel Tiny 2 Adventures, Defenders of the Universe. He left the company sometime in 2007 to pursue work as an independent contractor, but returned sometime around 2010 to 2011 for the XBLA release of Guardian Heroes. He worked on the title Code of Princess, which borrows heavily from Guard, uh, Guardian Hero- Heroes. And Norio Hazawa, often credited as Na. Is the company's primary music composer. Although he used to share music duties with Kashihiku Suzuki, he was also credited as Nazo. He remains Treasure's only full-time composer, contributing music to more than 20 of Treasure's games. So those were just some people who are at Treasure and who were at Treasure. Um, and their design theory, like I stated earlier, was, you know, creating games, but innovating on those genres. So if you look at something like Radiant Silver Gun and how that is designed or uh, going back to Igaruga, where um, you match colors to kind of survive. And if you the opposite color hitting the enemy, you'll take out more energy. It was something that you had never seen in a game. So they they take these games and they make them a little bit difficult, but they kind of treat it as, treat it as a puzzle. You kind of gotta solve uh, what what is given, you know, what is thrown at you with what is given to you. So um, 
you know, Radiant, not Radiant Silver Gun, uh, Guardian of Heroes, uh, is a game kind of almost like Contra, uh, but you kind of select which levels you want to go to, and they kind of give you all of your powers at the beginning, um, and you kind of got to figure out how, I mean, you could, you could get new powers throughout, uh, kind of throughout the um game but you kind of got to switch them up or you got to combine them and you got to see what is the best uh arsenal to have in order to defeat that section of the game so it's very creative and uh i i remember playing gunstar heroes on my wii uh, when it came out, because the funny thing about uh, Treasure was that I I didn't get into Treasure until their games came to the Wii. Um, I even though my brother had a Sega, uh, not Sega Saturn, had uh had a Sega Genesis, he kind of never got into Treasure, and we could never we were never able to find their games. We kind of were wondering where do we, you know where did we find a game like this and um i think i seen believe i also seen it in uh egm trying to figure out who in the world is uh carrying a game like this that i want to play and uh as weird as it may seem i couldn't find nowhere uh to find this game uh i i definitely i was young and i was playing the um you know my super nintendo and later on n64 and playstation so uh throughout that time you know i focus on these on those games and then you know with my brother uh focusing more on sports games and stuff like that um i kind of had to maybe rent some action games and even at the rental places i've never seen gunstar heroes so um it, it's kind of weird you know where treasure came from but to go back and play their games on the wii when it came out you know i was kind of like man this is really up my alley and i wish i i wish at that time those games came out i really you know paid attention and picked them up so when i come back we're gonna get into uh some of the games that came out on the sega Yes, everybody, we're going to be talking about the Sega debut of Treasure Games when I come back.
So Treasure Games making their debut uh, when they came out, like I stated earlier in the last section, that they were on the Sega Genesis. And their first game that they came up with was Gunstar Heroes. Uh, Gunstar Heroes is a run-and-gun shooter video game and the first game developed by Treasure and published by Sega. Treasure, Treasure's debut game was originally released on the Sega Genesis in late 1993 and later on ported to the game, game Gear by M2. In February 2006, uh, Gunstar Heroes was released. Uh, sorry about that, everybody. Gunstar Heroes was released as part of the Gunstar Heroes Treasure Box Collection for the PlayStation 2. It is also available on the Wii's Virtual Console. In 2009, it was released on Xbox Live Arcade and PlayStation Network. In 2015, a 3D Classics version was released on the Nintendo 3DS eShop. The game's premise altered slightly for its Western release, but is generally centered around the exploits of the Gunstars, a mercenary family out to stop the Empire, a dictatorship that seeks to revive an ancient weapon by using the power of four gems hidden throughout the planet. It has been listed among the best video games of all time by various publications. So, it's kind of weird. Okay, so... Um, this game came out in North America September 9th in 1993, Japan September 10th, and Europe October of 1993, and Game Gear in Japan on March 24, 1995. And you could, you could, you can, uh, it's a two player co op that you guys could play, and you have a vitality system. So you don't, you know, if you get hit, you lose life. You don't actually have, uh, any mana stuff. So, what's cool about this game, uh, like I stated earlier in the last section, that you get to select your stages. So, one stage is kind of like a regular one-and-gun stage. Um, you're kind of like in a forest, and you're learning. You learn most of the gameplay in, in that. So, you have a button that shoots, uh, another button that jumps, uh you kind of also have another button that attacks in a sense, like where you do a, a physical me- melee to it. And then you have another button that uh, allows you to switch your, um, your weapon. So you have two spots and uh, you have like a machine gun. Um, you have a laser. Um, you have a homing, like kind of like homing, uh missiles or like a homie button and then you have like fire and you'll get these two kind of weapons and you get to switch them up so depending on how you uh experiment with those weapons you get to see what the results is when you combine them together and uh any anytime there's a drop you could pick up that uh special weapon or you could get a uh, skip past it um uh, when you see hearts that's in the game when you pick them up that refills your vitality now you can't go over a hundred because you started at a hundred for your vitality um if you do get a heart it'll hold you for like uh 20 hit points um or hp if you want to look at that and so you could get up to even 200 if you're good enough uh so it has a little bit of sound effects and everything and what's cool about these stages um or about gunstar hero when you choose these four stages um you could be fighting on a rail cart uh going different going different routes uh you'll be fighting on an airplane like going vertical up 
there's a level where it's completely a board game. So you go to when you land on these places, uh, you'll go to these areas and you'll fight your way through that room. And if you win, uh, you know, you kind of go back out and you'll be able to spin again. Uh, but then there's a boss fight at the end of it. And so you kind of got to roll the dice to see if, you, you know, how far you could get. And there's one point where if you land on, uh, if you land on something that makes you redo everything from the beginning, uh, when you, the board, the, the places that you did beat, you don't have to play again. But if you land on a place that you skipped the first time, but not this time, you have to go and do that fight. So, um, it, it makes that game, the game kind of long. And then it goes into kind of a regular, uh, regular runner gun. Um, and then you kind of do like a spaceship battle before you land and you fight the final boss, uh, which, uh, I don't want to uh, spoil, but it does contain those four gems that you uh, are trying to get back. So, and it kind of explains on, you know, how everything comes about. And there was like, uh, there was a a sequel to it, uh, Gunstar Events Heroes, which I'll talk about a little bit later um, when we get to the Nintendo section with Treasure. Uh, But yeah, it's a very fun game two-player co-op if you have it on Wii I do recommend you know probably going back and and playing it and giving it a look uh if you could get it on the 3d uh 3d classics on Nintendo 3ds on the eShop uh do that give it a chance I would love to see more classes come to switch uh, I've been wanting a treasure collection uh to be released so if nicholas and treasure decides to bring gunstar heroes or guardian heroes or a lot of their classic games to switch bring it it's a great console to have definitely with the joy cons because it's not too much uh it's not too much um with this controls to figure out you just got to um be smart and you know do your best to survive so uh that was gunstar heroes their debut uh, moving on to this and I never got to play it but I always just love the artwork and I love beat em ups uh, was Guardian Heroes now this came out to the Sega Saturn um, Guardian Heroes is a 2D side scrolling beat em up video game in the vein of Final Fight or Golden Axe but with RPG elements the development team called it a fighting RPG Guardian Heroes was developed by Treasure and released in 1996 for the Sega Saturn video game console. A sequel was released in 2004 for the Game Boy Advance entitled Events Guardian Heroes. The game allows players to alter the storyline through their actions, such as choosing between a number of branching paths, leading to multiple endings and killing civilians and enemies, leading to changes in the karma meter. The music was composed by Hideki Matsutaki, a former member of electronic music band Yellow Magic orchestra and Nazo Suzuki. It is considered a cult classic of the Benamut genre. And uh when you look when you be when you're able to look at this game, you'd be like, oh wow. Uh, I remember seeing the path line in EGN and I was just like I need a Sega Saturn. <laughs> but unfortunately, you know uh the Saturn wasn't being supported, you know, it was 
it was a little bit too expensive and I didn't really think about CD games at that time. So I didn't really get a chance to play this. Um, now, uh, this game did come out on, in North America on January 25th of 1996, Japan, January 26th, and in Europe it was on June 1996. Um, it also came to Xbox Live Arcade, uh, worldwide October 12, 2011. So, um, there's a possibility that it's still on there. Um, it is not backwards compatible or anything, like they haven't, like, re-released it or anything. Uh, you like where if you do own it uh you could download it to your xbox one so that hasn't started yet but uh, i hope they really do get a chance to re-release that game so i could play it finally um it is it's an amazing kind of game uh i like i said i didn't get a chance to play it uh but give it a give it a look if you can uh oh hold on one second Oh, yeah, this version was later made backwards compatible for Xbox One November 6, 2016. So the game is available backwards compatible. Ooh, I have to buy this game. I'm going to have to look for it uh, and pick it up. Ooh, yes, I'll do that probably after the podcast. Uh, so, yeah, but if you guys want to take a look at it, uh, um, you can check it out because I, I really want to play through this whole game um, and get a good feel for it. Another game that they also did for the Sega Genesis was Dynamite Heady. Um, and Dynamite Heady is a platform video game uh, developed by them, published by Sega for the Sega Genesis in 1994. The game follows a puppet named Heady and his efforts to stop an evil puppet king from taking over the, his world. Heady can throw his head at enemies to defeat them and use it to pull himself to various areas and move objects. The player can find a wide variety of heads which access power-ups that provide different effects and altered gameplay. The critical reception to Dynamite Heady was positive. Critics highlighted the game's originality and creativity in distinguishing it among other games in the platform genre. They also commended Treasure for demonstrating their technical expertise with impressive graphical efforts and building on the, su- the success of their earlier games, Gunstar Heroes. In reviews for the time and in retrospect, retrospect dynamite heady is cited for being one of the best games on the genesis an 8-bit port was released for game gear which itself served as the basis for a master system port released exclusively in brazil um this game came out in uh, august 4th uh, august 5th 1994 uh, so you guys could go ahead and check that out uh just a little bit more in, uh, info on this uh Dynamite Heady was originally released in Japan August 5th, 1994 for the Sega Genesis by North America and European. Release follows in September and October, respectively. A port was released for the Game Gear Master System port based on the Game Gear version was was released exclusively in Brazil. A 32X port was planned but cancelled. The game was included along with Gunstar Heroes and Alien Soldier and Sega Ages 2500 Gunstar Heroes Treasure Box, a compilation released for the PlayStation 2 in 2006 in Japan. The compilation includes all versions of Dynamite Heady released on all three Sega platforms across all regions. The game saw a digital re-release on the Wii via the Virtual Console in July 2007. It was also included in Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection for Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3, and most recently was released on Steam on May 2nd, 2012. 
So if you guys want to look for it, go ahead and, ch and check it out. Like I said, it did get a lot of good reviews. So a nice, cool kind of platform. Now, this one is called, this game is called Alien Soldier. And this one is kind of, to me, the first all boss rush mode kind of game. If you think of Cuphead in today's genre, uh, Alien Soldier is that uh it is a side-scrolling run-and-gun video game developed by Treasure and published by Sega for the Mega Drive. Retail copies were released in Japan and PAL territories, while in North America, it was only available exclusively via the Sega Channel cable service. The story follows a powerful being named Epsilon Ego, who, after being nearly killed, becomes determined to avenge his near-death and save his planet. The character has a variety of weapons and moves that the player must master to complete the game. Many gameplay ideas are borrowed from Treasure's earlier Mega Drive release, uh, Gunstar Heroes. However, Alien Soldier puts an emphasis on challenging boss fights with short and easy levels, serving as downtime in between. Treasure began development of four games after the release of Gunstar Heroes. Among these were Alien Soldier. Development lasted two years and was led by Hideyuki Suganami, who originally held ambitious plans and wanted to build the entire game himself. With the market for the Mega Drive quickly shrinking to make headway for the incoming 32-bit fifth-generation hardware, Suganami received support from other Treasure staff and released the game with only about half of his original ideas realized. The team designed and marketed Alien Soldier explicitly for hardcore Mega Drive gamers, designing its difficulty and scoring methods for those that enjoyed the system's strong action game library. Alien Soldier was released towards the end of the Mega Drive's life cycle in February 1995. Critics praised the game for its challenge and gameplay. These sentiments carried over into retrospective reviews where critics also highlighted the game's graphics, soundtrack, and overall intensity. Some negative critique was directed towards the hard difficulty, steep learning curve, and unorthodox gameplay, but many still recommended to fans of Gunstar Heroes and the run-and-gun genre. The game's first re-release was on the PlayStation 2 in Japan for the Sega Ages 2500 series, which includes different regional releases and extra features. It was also re-released worldwide on the Wii Virtual Console and Steam. So, if you guys want a challenging game, give it a whirl. Give it a chance. If you, st if you still could get it on the Wii or on Steam, give it a chance. So, but yeah, there... Uh, <laughs> Their run on on Genesis was was kind of a hit, you know. They they were the Konami uh, before Konami kind of joined on uh, the Sega Genesis uh, platform. Uh, last but not least, uh, McDonald's Treasure Land Adventure. Uh, now this game is you know, is a platform video game created by Treasure for the Mega Gen Mega Drive and Genesis, based on the McDonald's fast food franchise and four of its corporate mascots from McDonald's. Land, Ronald McDonald, Hamburglar, Grimace, and Birdie the Early Bird. The game follows the adventures of Ronald McDonald in an attempt to find four pieces of a treasure map and ultimately the treasure to which it leads. Um, the side-scrolling platform consists of four stages, Magical Forest, Magical Town, Magical Sea, and Magical Moon. 
Each consists of a platforming sequence, a boss fight, and a story-related sequence. Important to each stage is the collection of magical jewels and gold bars, the former of which are needed for advancement, and the later of which can be used to buy items. The controls for McDonald's Treasure Land Adventure are straightforward, B buttons to attack, C buttons to jump, and arrow buttons to move left and right. The most innovative gameplay element is the scarf, A button, which can stretch out and latch onto a hook, then retract and pull Ronald McDonald quickly to the hook. Uh, this game came out in Japan September 23rd, 1993, um, and in Europe and North America in 1993. Um, so, uh, this is different than MC Kicks, uh, that was on, uh, the Sega Genesis also. So, um, yeah, McDonald, Ronald McDonald had a video game and Treasure did it. And the Treasure's licensed games are the bomb. They're, they're surprisingly, like, really, really good. And I, I, out of all of them, only, like I said, only got to play, uh, Gunstar Heroes. But when I was just like, Ronald McDonald has a, like, <laughs> Treasure has, uh, a video game <laughs> with Ronald McDonald's. I, I kind of was just like, wow, that's, that's kind of interesting. Uh, and then when I seen it, I was just like, Oh, cool. Really? You know, this is kind of before the Burger King games and any other fast food, even I think Taco Bell. No, Doritos had of, uh, a video game for Xbox 360 where if you guys could find a past episode of Retro Force Go and listen to that episode you definitely will hear uh Tuffer's kind of frustration <laughs> with that game so when I come back uh we're going to talk about the switch up with Nintendo like how did Treasure go from Sega Genesis to Nintendo well we'll talk about it when I come back So, uh, Mischief Makers is one of the games that was kind of the debut for Treasure being on a Nintendo platform. Uh, 
and it's it kind of amazes me all how it all happened. Uh, that they went from the Sega Genesis and Sega Saturn to you know to Nintendo, and I believe the Saturn was the last you know time they made a game for uh, for Sega on their console because they, nothing never came to uh, Dreamcast or anything. So uh, their switch to Nintendo was kind of uh, surprising. Um, and one of their first games is Mischief Makers. Uh, Mischief Makers is a 1997 uh, side-scrolling platform video game developed by Treasure and published by Enix and Nintendo for the Nintendo 64. The player assumes the role of Marina, a robotic maid who journeys to rescue her creator from the Emperor of Planet Clancer. The gameplay revolves around grabbing, shaking, and throwing objects. There are five worlds and 52 levels, and the game is displayed in 2.5D, meaning that the game uh, has has 3D in it. You can move uh, up and down, but it has a 2 uh, a 2D plane, like it's just it's very linear when you look at it, but you can move freely within that 2D space. Um, the game was the first 2D side scrolling game for the Nintendo 64 and Treasure's first release for a Nintendo console. The company began Mission Maker's development in mid 1995 with little knowledge of the console's features. The 12 person team wanted to make a novel gameplay mechanic, and implementing the resultant catching technique became the most difficult task. The game appeared at the 1997 Electronic uh, Entertainment Expo, or E3, and was re- released in Japan on June 27, 1997, and later in the United States, the United Kingdom, and Australia. The game received mixed or average reviews, according to video game review scorer agitator Metacritic. Critics praised mischief makers' inventiveness, uh, personality, and boss fights, but criticized its brevity, low difficulty, low replay value, sound, and harsh introductory learning curve. Retrospective reviewers disagreed with the originally poor recession, and multiple reviewers noted Marina's signature Shake Shake soundbite as a highlight. Video game journalists cited Mission Makers as right for a reissue either through the Nintendo eShop or in a sequel or franchise reboot. In 2009, GamesRadar called it possibly the most underrated and widely ignored game on the N64, which, if they bring the N64 classic, this game needs to be on it. It literally needs to be on it. So, uh... The game was released in Japan on June 27, 1997, North America, October 1, 1997, uh, the UK, January 15, 1998, and Australia in January 15, 1998. Like I said, it's a platformer, and it's only single player, and uh, when you, as you play as Marina, you'll kind of run up to things, uh, grab it, and shake it, and then throw it. Now, that's going to sound familiar and I'll get to that later on in this, this this discussion because people would be like, "Oh, I oh okay, I see. Oh, I get it. Yeah." So, uh I played this game when it came out. I never got the, got a chance to beat it because I did rent it uh, you know, of course with N64 games. Uh I didn't have a, a job at that time to like buy more games, and uh, I didn't really ask my mom to buy me Mission Makers or anything. Uh, but 
uh, when I played of it after I rented uh, rented the game, I kind of was just like, I'm so into this. And I thought because it was a platforming game and it was kind of easier to get into, I would be able to finish it. And as many times I re- as I rented this game, I never did. I never got to beat it. Uh, but it definitely needs to be on... Uh, it definitely needs to be on the Nintendo 64 classes if Nintendo ever decides to make one. But this next game, one of their biggest well-known games, is is kind of confusing, and uh, it's Sin and Punishment. Uh, now, Sin and Punishment Punishment is a rail shooter and shooting gallery video game co-developed by Treasure and Nintendo. Originally published by Nintendo for the Nintendo 64 in 2000, Sin and Punishment takes place in the near future of 2007 when humanity is struggling with a global famine. Scientists develop a new species to raise as food, but the creatures revolt and war breaks out. The player takes on the roles of Saki and Aaron as they fight to save Earth from destruction. The game employs a unique Nintendo 64 controller layout, u- utilizing both the D-pad and control stick. The control scheme allows the player to strafe, jump, and dodge around the screen while simultaneously aiming the targeting reticle. The player must shoot at enemies and projectiles while also dodging attacks to survive and progress through the game. The development of Sin and Punishment lasted longer than usual for the era. Development commenced in 1997 with only four staff and concluded in 2000 with more people involved than in any of Treasure's previous projects. The guiding inspiration to develop Sin and Punishment was the design of the Nintendo 64 controller. Treasure wanted to make a game that had the player holding the left side of the controller instead of the right wing, which was typical across the system's library. The the treasure team encountered difficulties programming the game, citing the system's complex 3D rendering capabilities and difficulties adapting 2D gameplay and ideas into 3D environments. Originally titled Glass Soldier by Treasure, the game was retitled to Sin and Punishment by Nintendo, wanting a name that stood out. Sin and Punishment was released to positive reviews. Critics highlighted the game's intensity and flashy graphics and particularly pointed out Treasure's ability to reduce the game's polygon count to maintain smooth gameplay action while still keeping the graphics stylish. Since the game was never released in the West, it grew a cult following among import gamers and it quickly became one of the most demanded titles for the Wii Virtual Console after its announcement. It was finally released in Western territories through the Virtual Console in 2007 to positive reviews. In retrospect, Cinder Punishment is considered one of the best Nintendo 64 games. It was ported to the IQ player in China in 2004 and a sequel was released for the Wii in 2009, Cinder Punishment star successor so yeah it was a game now the the, the real reason uh, I I say about this was that the game was uh, localized already it was in English when they finished the game so all they literally had to do was put it on a cartridge and release it here but I think Nintendo at that time was getting ready to uh going to GameCube development and, you know, get ready for the release of of that system. Uh, So, while it never came here, uh, it looks so fun to play. Um, The weird thing about it is that the last time you played a rail shooter, in my opinion, would be 
um, Space Harrier 2 or 3. And I believe that was on the Sega Genesis. That was kind of like the last real shooter where a character is kind of, you know, going through this path and flying around the uh flying around the level shooting and like and you know and you know liking all this stuff so you know space Harrier for me was kind of like the last game you know that game was uh published by sega and i played it on i played space Harrier on sega master system and i played space Harrier 2 um on the sega genesis now Cinder punishment kind of brought that back and uh, I I believe I did pick it up on Wii, but I just never started. I was so intrigued and ready to start it, but I started playing other games on the Wii, and it just sat on sat on my system, just like I need to play this game, and just never got on, never got into it. But I did pick up a uh, Sin and Punishment Star Successor, which I'm going to be talking about now, uh, because this game uh, is very cool. Uh, Sin Sin Punishment Star Successor released in Europe as Sin and Punishment Successor of the Skies and in Japan as Sin and Punishment Soberno Kokishi. Uh, Kokisha. Uh, I, I, I might be saying that wrong, so everybody, please forgive me. Uh, now this is a 2009 rail shooter video game for Wii, developed by Treasure and published by Nintendo. It is a sequel to the Nintendo 64 video game Sin and Punishment. Set many years after the first game, Star Successor focuses on Issa Joe, the son of Saki and Aram from the first game, and a mysterious young woman named Kakachi. Oh, not Kakachi, I'm sorry, uh, Kachi. The game is p- compatible with Nintendo Wi-Fi connection, featuring online leaderboards. While the original game featured English voice acting in both the Japanese and English versions, the sequel has Japanese voice acting for the Japanese version, as well as the option to switch between Japanese and English voice acting in the non-Japanese versions. Revealed at Nintendo conference on October 2nd, 2008, it was, it was released in Japan on October 29, 2009, and Europe on May 7th, 2010, and in North America on June 27, 2010. Although Nintendo Australia never released the game physically, or, uh, retailer JB Hi-Fi imported the UK version and began selling it on July 21st, 2010. In the January 2015 Nintendo Direct, it was announced that the game and other Wii games would be released for download through the Wii U's Nintendo eShop. It was released in Japan on March 25, 2015, and Europe on April 30, 2015, and Australia and New Zealand on May 1, 2015, and in North America on 2027-2015, along with the original game on the Wii U Virtual Console. Now, uh, the game can be controlled using one of four control methods. The Wii Remote with Nunchuck, Wii Zapper, Classic Controller, as well as the Classic Controller Pro, and the Nintendo GameCube Controller. Playing as either Issa or Kachi, the player could move around freely on screen while traveling a set path. That may go forward, backward, side to side, or up and down. The player may run on the ground and jump as in the original, but can also fly. A running dodge move can be performed in any direction to avoid enemy attacks. Aiming the gun is done with a reticle and is not tied to movement. In addition to gunfire, the player may also slash with a sword, which deals heavy damage to enemies at close range and can be used to deflect certain projectiles, usually missiles, at an on-screen opponent. 
Scoring heavy damage and a charge attack can be employed to, to deal very heavy damage, but requires a long cooldown period to be charged afterward. Getting successful enemy hits while remaining unscathed increases the score of multiplayer. Knocking enemy missiles or or alike also increases the score of multiplayer. Now, this game is single player and multiplayer. Uh, so you can do it with two players and you can do it uh, single player. I eventually did it uh, as single player um, because, well, you know, I didn't really have a lot of people who were into treasure games and who knew how to play an on-rail shooter. Um, you know, treasure games were, like I said, it's kind of, it's not big, you know, not saying that it's niche or anything, but people who love a lot of Japanese games, who kind of recognize who Treasure is for their difficulty and uh, their elements of gameplay, you know, they're big on score uh, than they are on progress. You know, if you can score high, then you're going to survive longer, and that will allow you to progress more through the game. So, uh, this one I did be, it, it takes a, it takes a while. It, it, I think it's like about five stages, five or six stages. Um, it, it takes a while. It's, you know, they're at points just bought, uh, like there are boss fights in multiple forms that you have to go through and that's the stage itself. So, um, if you guys decide to play, I played it with the uh, Wii Remote and Nunchuck and found it easier to do it like there. Uh, because I was able to move the reticle with the uh, Remote and be able to lock on and move quicker with the Nunchuck. Um, and just, man, the game is very, very good. But, you know, you got to be prepared. You got to be in the mindset of uh, looking at patterns and uh, attacking at the right time and dodging and running. Like, you got to, uh, you, you just got to pay attention. It, it might seem hard, but you could get the feel of it. Uh, like, like you're going to die a lot in, in a lot of treasure games. And that's completely fine. You know, that that makes the replay kind of value, uh, replay value really high. It might get frustrating, but I think once you learn a treasure game's mechanics, uh, you get to understand why they decided to create this game uh, and be able to progress through the levels. Um, so moving on from that, uh, Gunstar Superheroes, uh, known as Gunstar Future Heroes in Europe, is a run-and-gun video game for the Game Boy Advance, developed by Treasure and published by Sega in 2005. It is the sequel to the 1993 Sega Genesis game, Gunstar Heroes, with the story taking place at the events of the original game and featuring the expanded combat system over its predecessor. Um... This game came out in Japan for October 6, 2005, North America October 25th, 2005, and Europe on November 4th, uh, October, I mean, November 4th, 2005. Um, this game is a single player, so it's, it doesn't have the two-player uh, story mode anymore. Um, 
the gameplay makes a number of changes from the original Gunstar Heroes. The controls for red and blue no longer distinguished by the free and fixed shot and both have more advanced equal or versatile controls. The throw from the original is taken out and various melee attacks are now performed by using the A and B buttons in combination with the D-pad. The ability to combine different weapons is absent. Instead, the player has the option to select from three weapon types at any time in the game. The game also uses a supercharge meter that feels as the player defeats enemies using the energy uh, using the energy allows the player to fire a powerful attack um so uh, i never got to ch- uh try this game but uh it looks kind of fun you just got to take a look at it uh, another game, uh, Events Guardian Heroes, not Guard- Guardians, Events Heroes. Uh, Events Guardian Heroes uh, is a beat-em-up video game developed by Treasure for the Game Boy Events. The game was released September 22, 2004 in, uh, in Japan and September 14, 2004 in North America and February uh, 18, 2005 in Europe. The American European editions of the game was published by Ubisoft. The game is a sequel to Sega Saturn's Guardian Heroes. Since Sega is the original copyright holder and wasn't interested in uh, assuming the production of a sequel, Treasure had to license the intellectual property from Sega in order to carry out the game themselves. Um, Events Guard, uh, the, the gameplay for it. Uh, Events Guardian Heroes is a side scrolling beat em up in which the playable characters can perform physical and magical attacks. Physical moves include countering and mid air dashes. Magic attacks, which drain the MP meter, include element spells and protective barriers. It's also possible to go to hyper mode, a faster, more powerful version of the playable characters. The game is separated in various stages and sub stages with their own boss fights, enemies, and puzzles. Gameplay modes include story for up to two players versus and training. Um, unlike its predecessor, Events Guardian Heroes allows players to move smoothly towards and away from the screen as opposed to switching between three planes. Some platforming elements have been added to break up the combat, and two new jumping maneuvers, the air dash and homing jump, have been implemented. Some sequences in which these moves are used to seem to be referenced to various 8-bit and arcade games, and some wire fool films. A large part of the game relies on the revised barrier spell. All playable characters and enemies on higher difficulty settings have the barrier spell available, and at the cost of magic over time, it renders a character invincible. Probably time use of the barrier spell allows a player to deflect projectiles and magic. An individual effect reminiscent of Mission Maker's Marina Light Years, throwing a laser of lightning bolt back to at the uh, sources and stunt or stunt enemies who attack in melee. A green gauge is used to represent the characters and particularly the player's anger. At any point that the player's characters is rendered immobile or out of the player's control, the player can rapidly press buttons to increase the anger gauge. Points allocated to the character's um, mobility grant bonuses to how quickly this gauge increases. When it flashes, the character can press A B simultaneously to activate hyper mode or anger mode, starting a timer in which the anger gauge decreases. The magic gauge increases, the character is given a burst of speed, and the player is returned control of his character. If the player character dies during the course of the game, a sinister figure appears to offer... Uh, uh, his soul. If the player refuses, the princess appears and reassures the player 
that there will be another chance before the game transitions to a game over screen. If the player agrees to the sinister figure's conditions, then the character is brought back to life in a state referred to as Devil Mode that is unable to take damage, although still able to be knocked down and flung around for the next six minutes, before the sinister figure reappears and destroys him, resulting in a game over screen. Regardless of the player's choice, he is able to continue the game from the last checkpoint reached before going into devil mode. Also, unlike the first game, the player is allowed to use most every uh, to use most every character that he unlocks in the main story as well as in the other modes. Throughout the game, defeated enemies will drop crystals in varying sizes of color that act as experience points. Between stages, players can allocate these crystals toward one or more of their character's attributes. Vitality, Mind, Attack, Defense, Magical Attack, Magical Defense, and Mobility. At certain points, you will have to fight the heroes of the previous game, and upon defeating them, they will give you their souls, which will increase one of your attributes by 10. Increasing the attribute where soul crystals will raise the character's level, no matter how high the attribute was to begin with. The higher the character's level, the more soul crystals will be needed to reach the next level, so players have to allocate their points carefully. Anything left over after allocation can be donated towards unlocking further playable characters. Um, so, uh, that's kind of the change if anyone has played the original Guardian Heroes. Um, moving on from that, uh, Bangai O, uh, Spirits. Uh, Bangai O Spirits is an action game for the Nintendo DS and the sequel to Bangai O, which was released for the Nintendo 64 and Dreamcast. Oh, so they did release a, uh, a game for Dreamcast, Bangai O Spirits. Uh, Bangai O, uh, I mean Bangai O, would be in the original one. Uh, Bangai O Spirits is a side-scrolling shooting game with free-scrolling levels that extend horizontally and vertically. The player controls a robot with the ability to fly, but is still affected by gravity. He has seven weapons to choose from and can perform melee attacks using a baseball bat or sword. The game has 160 levels and features a level editor to create. Uh, create more. Edited levels can be encoded in a sound that can be recorded with a computer and shared between players. This technology was inspired by the data cassettes used by some older computers, including the Sharp X1 on Matsumoto learned to program, on which Matsumoto learned to program. And this game came out in Japan on March 19, 2008, uh, North America August 12, 2008, and the PAL version was August 29, 2008. Um, you guys can take a look at it. It's even, it's just hard to explain. <laughs> and, and I tried, I tried to play this game and could not get into it. Um, I do want to, uh, do rec, uh, make a recommendation. Um, but, and that I didn't include it in, um, uh, this, um, this, um, uh, episode it's asher boy omega factor uh give it a check uh it was on game boy events um and it's one of the best kind of licensed games that treasure has there even over mcdonald's uh mcdonald's land game so uh but i'm getting to the last game uh before we get into our next section and uh, that's wario world um, Wario World is a 2003 platform beat-em-up video game developed by Treasure and published by Nintendo for the GameCube. The game's plot centers on Wario and his quest to be game is Treasure and his castle from Black Jewel, an uh, enemy gem. 
The game was fairly well received by reviewers who praised the game's fun gameplay while criticizing its short length. The game has sold over 142,000 copies in Japan and over 256,000 copies in the United States. In 2004, the game was re-released as a player's choice title. Um, the game came out in Europe in June 20th, 2003, North America, June 23rd, 2003, Australia, July 10th, 2003, and Japan, 2000, uh, May 27th, 2004. Uh, now, th- this one, uh, where Warrior Worlds gameplay centered main, mainly on combating enemies, although it requires some platform navigation similar to Super Mario 64 and Super Mario Sunshine, the controls are simple and only you uh, only uh, used to jump, run, dash, and, and perform fighting moves and use the hyper suction abilities co- to collect nearby coins. The level design are platform-based with combat elements and have an overall linear design. The levels contain trap doors which led to special platforming or puzzle-oriented challenges. Throughout the game, small forest sprites known as Spritonings give Wario advice if they are rescued from imprisonment. During combat, Wario can grab enemies and either spin them around, throw them, or power drive them into the ground. Enemies drop coins when defeated and tend to regenerate if the area is left and returned to uh, return to later. The coins are used to purchase items such as life restoring garlic and to return to life. If Wario does not have enough money to return to life, the game is over. A new feature in Wario World are the spherical glue globes in which Wario is stuck to stuck to if he touches it, allowing the player to teach other rights in inaccessible areas. Along the way, Wario can recollect his long treasures which are hidden in treasure chests and collect positive golden Wario statues, which increases Wario's life meter by one half. In order to advance in the game, the player must collect a certain amount of red diamonds in each level. If the game collects all the treasures in various levels, many games from the Game Boy Advance title WarioWare Inc. Mega Micro Games are unlocked, and they can be used by using the Nintendo GameCube Game Boy Advance link cable. Now, uh, there is another Wario game. Uh, I think it's called Shake'em Up. And it uses the uh, Mischief Maker's uh, design pattern. I thought Warrior uh, Warrior World was was the one, but it's uh, it's a different one. And uh, that game, you kind of grab enemies and you shake them uh, for coins uh, to defeat them. Uh, so <laughs> that that shake mechanic that came with Mischief Makers was done in another Nintendo game that wasn't uh, done with Treasure, and that's why I kind of find it you know found a weird um i did play wario world uh it does kind of get repetitive but it it is a cool game um i i say give it a go if you can find uh this game on uh if you live to can find this game on uh you know at a used game store or and probably in you know if you can find it uh, at a Salvation Army, so for anyone who's selling some GameCube games, uh, I say give this one a go, give it a try. It's it's not too long or anything, uh, but it is fun to play. So when I get back, I'm going to talk, kind of talk about one of the two big games that Treasure is really known for to this very day, and I'll talk about them when I come back.
So, uh, two of the games that they are really known for still to this very day is uh, Radiant Silver Gun and Eager Root Gun. And I kind of mentioned them uh, throughout the show on why they are so kind of important, actually, to uh, to Treasure's uh, discography and to, um, you know, uh, a lot of a lot of shoot 'em up fans uh, for this genre. And uh, uh, Radiant Silver Gun uh, was originally released in Japanese arcades in 1998 and subsequently ported to the Sega Saturn later uh, that year. The story follows a team of fighter, fighter pilots. Um, oops, sorry about that, everybody. Uh, the story follows a team of fire pirates in a far future who are battling ways of enemies summoned by mysterious, uh, a mysterious crystal dug up from the earth. The player hosts, of, hosts an arsenal of six different types of shots to choose from and a source to destroy nearby targets. The stations are tightly designed to present players with script scenarios that can be approached differently with the various weapon types. Treasure was primarily known for developing action and platform games for home consoles before running at Silvergun. Despite the company's concerns about the financial viability of arcade games in the shooter genre, they felt they had a good premise for a game and decided to pursue it. Radiant Silver Gun was developed by 10 people with Gonzo outsourced for animated cutscenes. The game was developed for the STV arcade board first and later ported to the architecturally similar Sega Saturn. Towards the end of development, the team, recruit, uh, the team recruited professional gamers that held high scores and shooters to playtest the game. Radiant Silver Gun was first released in Japanese arcades in May 1998. Church President Masato Magawa went in person to arcades to gauge the reaction of players. The Saturn Point was, was released two months later in Japan. Despite its region exclusivity, Radiant Silver Gun was imported by Western critics and received critical acclaim. Journalists agreed that the game revived the shoot-em-up genre which had fallen by the wayside after the rise in popularity of arcade fighting games in the 1990s. In retrospect, it is considered one of the greatest shooters and Sega Saturn games of all time. It received a spiritual se- sequel in the form of Ikaruga and was ported to the Xbox 360 in 2011. And so, uh, Radiant Silver Gun is a vertical shooting, uh, vertical shooting sc- shoot em up. The player is given a bright arsenal from the start of the game featuring three primary weapons, a standard four firing shot, Weak but versatile homing projectiles and a spread gun which fires two powerful exploding lasers at a wide angle. Combining each of these shots, t- these shot types with another will result in one of three new types of weapons. A regular shooting standard shot, a close range missile targeting system, and a long range targeting system that electrocutes enemies. The ship is also equipped with a sword that can be swung around in a, uh, around the ship damaging nearby enemies. The sword can also be continuously held in front of the ship to inflict damage and absorb special bullets to power up for a special large sword attack. The stages are methodically and tightly paced with carefully crafted scenarios that can be approached differently with the variant weapons. The game's scoring system is based on enemy color. All enemies of one of three colors, red, blue, or yellow, destroying three enemies of the same color in a row next to the player a scoring bonus. 
Killing another set of the same color increases the bonus while shooting another color will reset it. In addition to gaining a higher score, chaining attacks on the same color increases the effectiveness of the weapon used to destroy them. The weapons stay powered up for the remainder of the game. The player can also attain extra points by destroying bosses more methodically. Each boss has different segments and appendages that can be destroyed before targeting their weak spot. If all these segments are destroyed first, the player will earn a greater bonus. There are also hidden dogs that, when shot, will give the player bonus points and uh, and unlock more game options. And so, uh, you guys can check this out. On there's more information about Radiant Silver Gun on at YouTube. Uh, I n- I've never got a chance to play this game. Um, it never came to the arcade here in America. Um, and I didn't own the Xbox 360, so I never got a chance to play. And it's not backwards compatible at this time. So, but if you guys are interested, I say give it a whirl. Give it a chance. Uh, it does have a beginning and an ending. And you, if you want to watch it on YouTube, a whole playthrough, you can watch that also. But, like I said, their most well-known game out of their whole catalog is Ikaruka. Um, Ikaruka is a shooter mode developed by Treasure. It is the spiritual sequel to Radiant Silver Gun and was originally released in Japanese arcades in December 2001. The game story follows a rebel pilot named Shinra as he battles an enemy nation using a specifically designed fighter called the Ikaruka, which can flip between two polarities, black and white. This polarity mechanism is the game's key feature and the foundation for a stage and enemy design. All enemies are bullets in the game are either black or white. Bullets which are the same color as the player are absorbed while the others will kill the player. The game features both single player and cooperative modes. Development on Ikaruga began during director Hiroshi uh Luigi's off hours while Treasure was busy developing Sin and Punishment. The game began as a sequel to Radiant Silver Gun and borrows many elements from it as well as polarity mechanism from Treasure's Silhouette Mirage, which is 1997. During the game's prototype stages, the player's ammo was limited. The bullet absorption mechanism was used as a means to refill ammo. However, this was found to be weak and it created too many breaks in the, in the action. In tradition with Treasure's game design philosophies, uh, Ikaruka was intentionally crafted to challenge the conventions of standard game design and develop a new type of shooting game. Altogether, five church staff worked on Ikaruka as well as three support staff from GREF. Upon initial release in Japanese arcades, reception was mixed. Church staff explained this was due to players expecting a more standard shooter offering, but instead being greeted with a different game system that featured more puzzle-like elements rather than the Twitch gameplay gameplay of bullet dodging. In 2002, Ikaruga was ported to the Dreamcast in Japan and began to grow a cult following from the import gamers worldwide. It was, re- it was later released in the West in 2003 on the GameCube, receiving positive reviews, which everybody, this was published by Atari. So just keep that in mind. 
Uh, critics praised the graphics as well as the art and sound design. Some critics was directed towards its difficulty. Most critics felt the unique game design choices were innovative, while some believed they, stif- they stifled many of the classic shooter elements. Ikaruga was later ported to the Xbox 360, Microsoft Windows, and Nintendo Switch. In retrospective, Ikaruga is often regarded as one of the best shooter months of all time and one of Treasure's greatest works. And also, like I said, it came out for PlayStation 4, so it is available for that system too. Um, I still love this game. I still play it. In fact, uh, before I was recording this podcast, I was playing this game and I, I need a second player. Me and my friend, we did play the arcade version of this game at uh, Galloping Ghost. Um, shout out to Galloping Ghost uh, in Bloomington, uh, Illinois. Uh, we played it there and we had such a great time uh you know, enjoying it. He had never played Igaruga, but he had heard of it. And so, uh, I kind of was like teaching him the ways of playing it, which is like, okay, this game is kind of basic in understanding, but you have to be quick, uh, and be decisive on how you want to approach things. So, uh, you know, switching up between red and white. And I mean, I read, uh, red and white, um, black and white, um, the, there's a red outline aside the black and with the white, there's a little light blue outline aside of it. And it's only five stages, but depending on how, how you go about it, if you got unlimited continues, it's not so much, uh, that difficult, you know, you could just die. And if you don't care about the score, you know, and again, a high grade rate. It won't bother you. But for those who are hardcore, who are into this game, you will study the patterns. Uh, if you have another player working with you, you guys will be able to handle the game more efficiently and uh, easier. If you're doing by one player, you got to kind of watch out because at parts it goes fast. You got to... Uh, you kind of got to pay attention between points that switching and bullets that's coming at you. Uh, it, it gets hectic and it gets difficult, but you can do it. You know, if you're a person who are playing the arcade version and they, they are making you to pop in coins and tokens and stuff, you're pretty much going to probably spend about $40 on this just by the single player, depending on how good you are in the game. Um, when it came out to GameCube, uh, you had to earn the unlimited credits and you had to earn getting further in the game. Cause if you, if the only way to do the story more arcade mode, um, you know, they're there, they have a where you can also kind of do a practice mode, but every time you unlock the level, that's as as far as you could get to in like the trial mode or the practice mode so if you wanted to unlock the full game and do any kind of uh level select you had to play the whole game and at, and at points that you know depending on your gameplay time not so much your points but your gameplay time if you played it for uh, a longer time you will unlock uh how many continues you would get or how many man uh, or extra spaces you would get uh, to play for that. So uh, that's how they kind of went about um, Ikaruga. And I got to say, it's still a great 
game to play. It's it's just so fun to get into and like really lose yourself. Uh, the game is on Xbox One, so it is backwards compatible. Uh, it's the three Xbox three sixty three sixty version, so you guys can play online with friends and uh for me right now my Yoruga skills suck because i own it for xbox one uh backwards compatible uh i had the gamecube version but only got the box i think i let my cousin use uh use the actual game um my my nephew and I have the game on my uh, Nintendo Switch, so I I was playing it with the I I, I played it with the Joy Cons, which is fun to play. But I advise you to play this game kind of with the Pro Controller. Um, I found it very easier using the analog stick and having uh having the, a better handle of the game on uh on Switch with my Pro Controller. So, I mean, these games are held as like, like the greatest of shoot 'em up games and kind of video games in, in general. Like they, they are, uh, they created a history of, um, you know, being innovative of of the shooting genre and definitely with Ikaruka with the spoiler rising system, you can see still see that gameplay uh, included in different uh, different games of the shoot 'em up genre so uh when i come back we're gonna get into the last section of kind of like what happened to treasure like now why they haven't did anything so with that everybody i will be right back So, um, kind of when it comes to treasure, I kind of wonder like what actually happened to them. Um, there hasn't been any new games from them, so I wonder, you know, I wonder if because they lost a lot of their talent, um, and they probably still have a small team there. I think right now they're probably working on licensing a lot of their 
uh, past gangs through through publishers to kind of keep them afloat. Um, because like I I think now definitely with Nintendo Switch and PlayStation Four and Xbox One, I think those games can make a return in a in a positive way and keep the company afloat. But I think they should get back into development of new games. Uh, not seeing uh, why they couldn't make a game because a lot of their games were su- successful. Um, and maybe, you know, th- I think they had a good business deal with Nintendo and with Sega. Uh, definitely with Nintendo, uh, they sold a lot of games. Uh, Nintendo helped them make some of those games and bring it to uh, to their systems. And I, I kind of wonder what they could do now. Because I would love to see another beat em up game from uh, from them. I would love to see uh, the third the third episode. Well, not, not so much episode. But see the third uh, game from the uh, Radiant Silver, Silver Gun games. Because uh, Ikaruga, in a sense, was... Uh, Ikaruga was kind of one of the games that were going to be a part of the Radiant Silver Gun games. And so there were going to be a third and final Radiant Silver Gun game to, you know, complete that whole collection. But we just never got it. So I would love for them to make it, bring it out as an arcade game, and even bring it here to America. Uh, I would love to see them touch, like, a licensed property you know, they were able to do like Ronald McDonald's and Astro Boy. So, you know, maybe there, maybe there could be like uh, another Seven Up game, a Spot game done by Treasure. You know, of course, Spot had his own game, but you know, maybe they could go uh, for Coca Cola Man or Pepsi Man, or they could they could do so much uh, and bring it over to America. I would love to see that now. In a sense, I think Way Fort is kind of the spirit of Treasure, in in an American sense, and they're still bringing you know great creative works here and stuff. But you know, Way Fort is not known for their um, kind of not known for their like shoot 'em ups or the innovative or taking a, taking a game and making a spin of it. I think they get a license and they introduce some recognizable familiarity of gameplay mechanics and, and put them in there, but still make it feel like a way for a game. Um, I could, I kind of could see that, which would kind of be cool if they, of way for and treasure actually got together and worked on a game that would be insane. Like I would definitely pre-order that and try to and pray for a physical copy of that ever happened. Um, uh, but I kind of see way for as America's treasure games. Um, in a sense, I, I know I call them America's Konami and also in a sense, but you know, when I think about treasure and I think about the, their company and the games that they made, you know, they were challenging, they were innovative. It was something that was fun, something that you never seen or never done. Um, a good example also of that is Beautiful Joe. Beautiful Joe could have been kind of in a treasure style game, even though that was done by Capcom and Clover. Um, you kind of could get a sense of 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 treasures influence in that game if you go back and play it um 
not not so much nowadays like i kind of would like to see if there are indie developers who have been inspired by treasure and if any of their games that they have made um have have that influence kind of here in america um i would love to see more of that uh i think it would i think it would be good it would be cool uh for that to happen um and for right now like we know they could do fighting games we know they could do shoot 'em up games they could do platform games kind of the old 8 bit 16 and a little bit of the third two bit games that were that were that they're known for um but can they make like something like secret of mana they probably could i think if they got with uh a, you know they work with people who know how to make an rpg i think they could make a six dungeon uh rpg uh that would be kind of fun and cool uh but but with treasure at this time we don't know what they're going what they have planned if they're working on anything new uh but if you guys love their work you know if you guys want to find out more about them like i said nicholas and treasure they have ikaruga out there um some of their games are xbox one uh, backwards compatible i'm about to see if i could pick up uh garden heroes and play it on my xbox one i really want to play that game and i think if you still own those past systems or if anyone of a friend family member or a barcade or anyone who has some of their games that you could pick up and play i do recommend playing some of treasures video games they might not be for everybody but give them a try i think that difficulty uh kicking your tail don't let that disparage you or anything i think you have to work hard and learn the game um and and give it and and go for it and and just enjoy for what it is because they have classic game making uh games and they kind of have like this new just something new that other people have borrowed from and has been inspired from so uh everybody that's treasuring treasure you know i i completely wish they would come back and make a new game um i hope hopefully they will bring some of their classics out i still want the treasure collection uh to come but we will see in the future what happens if treasure if they would go out of business or someone's gonna buy them or if they're gonna bring a new game and if they do bring out a new game i hope nicholas does the publication for it so with that, everybody, we're going to get into some plugs, and then we're going to end the show. And with that, I will be right back.
Okay. Um, before I get into plugs, just want to say the music that mostly of this was coming from is from Treasures Games. Uh, the first, the intro track was Gunstar Hero Stage Clear Rap Beat. Um, that's from Jackson's Beats. You guys can check that out on YouTube at Jackson's Beats. Uh, Roundabout is from Guardian Heroes. Mischief Makers, Herbie Orchestrated Cover. Blockade from Sin and Punishment Star Successor is from that soundtrack. Uh, Ikaruga, Stage Boss Number One. But Suteka, uh, OST, uh, original soundtrack. And HD, uh, the track you just heard, which Astro Boy, the Mega Factor, OST, and Bangai O, Dreamcast, Come Now to the Front, will be the last ending track if you guys want to check that out. Uh, but, um, get into some plugs. You guys can find me on Twitter at that retro code. You also can check out Optional Opinion on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and other podcast apps. Um, you also could check my writings on uh, NerdsGoneRogueRadio.com or NGRRadio.com, uh, where we post uh, a lot of content um, from podcasts to our personal blogs. Um, and various discussions uh, that we have throughout the week. Um, I just wrote a new book called The Fascination of Free Will. So you guys can check that out at NGRRadio.com. Also, I host Arsenal X, NGR's radio Xbox podcast with my friends Jesse Douglas and uh, Corey Derrick, uh, our boss man. Also, you can check out uh, Nintendo Power Block that's hosted by Corey Derrick and uh, I am the co-host and Jesse Douglas is also co-hosting on that show. Also, check out uh, Nerds Gone Platinum on NGRRadio.com and Nerds Gone Rogue on our YouTube page. That's Jason Marshall, uh, Jeff Glassman and Moose Lee. You can check that out and also check out Nerds Gone Rogue our community podcast which is uh, uh, Matthew Keel, uh, Corey Derrick and with Moose Lee. They host that show. Uh, you also can check out Mini Blocks uh, Pod and Play, our uh, podcast and play show with me and Corey. Um, our Nindy Showcase that is running now. You can also check that out. Uh, uh, a lot of our video content is at Nurse Gone Rogue on YouTube. So if you like that content, subscribe to us um, and enjoy. Uh, you actually can uh, email the show at uh, myop2comments at yahoo.com. Um, if you have any questions or concerns or just also what you guys think about Treasure Games or any other topic that you guys would like me to talk about or uh you you would like the answer to um also check out uh world 101 podcast at shoutengine.com i do that show with my good friend larry giver where we come together and talk about uh what's going on in, in the gaming community um and sometimes just have just have great discussions uh about video games and sometimes life in general uh, we talk about what we've been playing uh some good sales that you guys want to catch up on and everything um you can check out b-sides and more content like i said at nurse going rogue radio and ngrradio.com so again all our ngr stuff out there for you guys to check out just a lot of content um you also can check out the devon cox experience on itunes uh, the Skyward cast uh, on iTunes. Uh, we the Gamer. Uh, you can also check on iTunes, the Xbox Dive, uh, Nindy Nation, Josh Brent and his uh, 
co-hosts on there. They come together and they talk about a lot of nitty gangs. Uh, so you guys can check that out also on iTunes and SoundCloud and other uh, podcast ads. Uh, Secret Friends Unite you can check out on at Podomatic and on iTunes. And I believe they have a YouTube page also. So check that out on, on there. So. Uh, but there are more, uh, there are more, uh, plugs that will be coming my way for, uh, to deliver to you guys, uh, a little bit at a later date on a, uh, on an episode. Um, I'm still getting, uh, plugs and the content together to organize. So you guys can check all of those podcasts out at the respectable places. Um, also check out Mike and Steve, uh, on, uh, on iTunes. Uh, they are two guys from California and they're trying to figure out the world. Uh, so you can check out some of their past episodes. Um, I did a, a commentary on Friday the 13th with them. I can't tell you which one I did with them, but I, hopefully they will be releasing that sometime in the future that you guys could check out. It's going to be very interesting to hear because we had a great discussion on that episode. Um, uh, but with that, everybody, um, have a great week have a great weekend um you know enjoy with all the games that you are playing all the games that's coming out and being announced and also if you guys like i said get a chance to play some treasure games go ahead and play it i'll probably be playing guardian heroes with somebody and ikaruga again so with that everybody have a great week have a great weekend um enjoy your family and your friends guys stay safe if you do work hey work hard and make that money <laughs> and with that everybody i am out peace